0: Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, and observations of life written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter Jay, and now let's say hello to our writers for today's program.
1: Hi, this is Kathy Salzberg. Hi, I'm Bill Wiley. Hello, I'm Carol Belcher. Hi, I'm Al Larkin. Join us as we share and enjoy today's stories as told by the authors themselves. So, Kathy. Yes. Smaller group today. Unfortunately, yes. But bigger agenda. Yes. We'll make it so.
0: Yeah, we'll, re- we'll read everything with you know, bigger emphasis and we'll move our arms in dramatic style, <laughs> which you can't see on the radio, but just trust us, you know, we're, we're going over the top. Okay. <laughs> Dynamic. There you go.
1: Well, um, I brought a couple of... Story. Oh, so I'll start off with my first one. As usual, the humor pieces about my career as a groomer. Excellent. Okay. This one is entitled, Wimps Like Me. Here we go again. Every time I turn around, there's another one of these motivational gurus popping up, spreading their wisdom throughout the land via high priced seminars, books, and triumphant appearances on Oprah. Tony Robbins has made millions, inspiring people, retraining them to think like winners, to lose their loser friends and associate only with respectable types. Wayne Dyer's teachings have also inspired millions. Have a love affair with yourself, Wayne advises. This could cut down considerably on the high cost of dating. The common themes of all these omniscient oracles seems to revolve around self-esteem, and that's where I come in. During my career, I've met lots of groomers who are constantly getting dog hair kicked in their faces. I want to inspire them to pick up those furry clumps and hurl them right back. My first step on this new career path was to organize a WIMP workshop for fellow groomers a golden opportunity for everyone to come clean and confess those occasions when they had been spineless jellyfish, craven cowards, and whipped dogs. After all, the first step towards recovery is admitting that there's a problem. Hoping to give courage to the chicken-hearted, I spoke first, dealing with the time when I miscalculated an employee's salary and she ripped up her paycheck tossing it right in my face like confetti. An empowered employer would have handed her a pink slip right on the spot, but not a dyed-in-the-wool wimp like myself. I chased her into the parking lot, checkbook in hand, apologizing profusely for my fuzzy math and scribbling in the correct figures as I pursued the disgruntled doggy diva. My fellow groomer wimp smiled with understanding, then slowly a young blonde groomer rose to her feet to testify. My name is Mary Lou, and I am a wimp. Hi, Mary Lou, we all said. A customer with a cocker spaniel called for an appointment on Thanksgiving Day, and I took it, she began. He was having company, and the dog was plagued by irritable bowel syndrome. I ran down to the shop to groom it once my turkey was in the oven. We all knew better than to ask if she'd gotten a tip. My name is Agnes, said a gray-haired granny groomer, her voice quaking. I had a young groomer working for me who kept losing my equipment. She had more memory lapses than I do, and she was only in her 20s. If I asked her what happened to my scissors on my blades, she got very offended. Sometimes she wouldn't speak to me for days. Last month, the girl opened her own salon right down the street. When I went to her grand opening, I recognized my clippers, my floor-standing dryer, and a pair of my best Japanese shears. We all nodded our heads. We could relate. A bespectacled man named Harold spoke next. I had an employee who insisted on bringing her pets to work, he began. Big deal, we all thought. Doesn't everybody? She has four dogs, a Rottweiler, a Chow... "'a Doberman pincher and a Toy Poodle. "'I put up with the growling and scaring the customers, "'but when I got bitten on the ankle, "'I asked her to leave one of those dogs at home. "'What would you expect from a Doberman?' one woman murmured. "'I know a Roddy like that myself,' said another. "'He's barred from my shop. "'I don't groom Chows either,' offered a third. "'You're all wrong,' Harold sighed. "'It was the Poodle. "'But I'm proud to say it doesn't happen any more.' Good for you, Harold. You spoke up and told her to keep that dog at home. I said, Well, no, he replied. Now I wear high-topped engineer boots to work. (laughs) Then there was the petite brunette, who said she went into labor while scissoring a standard poodle. I gave birth in the hospital elevator, she reported, but I did finish the dog. I even mopped up the puddle when my water broke. A freckle-faced redhead was next to come clean, confessing that no matter how hard she tried, she could not utter the words, Mrs. Jones, Max's price is going up by $2. I urged her to summon up her courage and try to complete this statement in front of the group, but she kept choking on the $2 part. She promised to practice at home in front of a mirror. Would you like some coffee? I asked them brightly once all brave enough to speak, had unloaded their stories. They looked exhausted, obviously spent from all those confessions. Not unless you're going to make it anyway, Kathy, they answered in unison. Don't go to any trouble. I took a deep breath and launched into the gospel according to me. No more bosses from hell. No more pilfering, power tripping, my way or the highway employees either. No more knuckling under to the demands of unreasonable customers, even the ones who are people-aggressive. I want you to picture the person who has been victimizing you, I continued. Now go ahead and be the pit bull that you are. It was a mesmerizing experience. As we cast aside our wimpy ways, we beat our chests and growled with wild abandon. For one shining moment, we became the alpha dogs we had always dreamed of being. The school auditorium rang with our shouts until a janitor came in and told us to keep it down. Suddenly, my daughter rushed into the room to inform me of an urgent phone call. We had all been invited to appear on Oprah to air our toxic shame before millions on network TV. Oprah will even pay for our plane tickets in rooms at La Meridian Hotel on Chicago's Miracle Mile," Missy announced, almost in tears from excitement. What a way to launch my new career, I thought, already practicing my on-camera smile. I'd get my teeth whitened, too. Unfortunately, the room had been cleared. The groomers had suddenly headed for the restrooms. I'd like to think it was the coffee I had forced upon them, but in my heart of hearts, I suspected another reason for their mass exodus. I hate to say it, but I think they all wimped out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love She's a master.
0: Okay, Big Bill, Big Bill.
3: I called up on good friends. Good friends, I need and want around. To be by their side, I will be found. They make me laugh, they make me cry. The joy I feel I cannot hide. We travel here, we travel there. I'll go with them anywhere. A nature walk sometimes we'll go. I take lots of pictures, my memories I'll show. Maybe a book signing of a dear friend. It makes me happy to no end. I walk around town, I walk in the woods. It just makes me happy, I feel so good. To the senior center, I've walked many times. Good friends I've made there. The joy is all mine. My life is good. My life is just fine. But whatever I do, I have a good time. I play music on my radio show. Sometimes I jump and jive. But inside my heart, I feel alive. I feel alive like I've never felt before. But I'm happy, for sure, when I walk out the door. There you go. Nice.
0: Now, you've got a seasonal round two set up for us. Uh, yeah, i got a Halloween one. <laughs> no, we should. Well, you know, obviously, we're running all through the month of November, but people can linger and enjoy all that Halloween candy while you tell the poem.
3: <laughs> I call it Halloween. Ghosts and goblins are coming near. Halloween will soon be here. You never know what you might meet. Sometimes they'll ask you for a treat. They'll run very close, they'll run away. You never know what they will say. When darkness falls, they'll show themselves. You may end up in a deep, dark well. On a rainy, dark, and stormy night, they want to give you such a fright. Sometimes you'll see them in the bright of day. They'll say hello and be on their way. You'll go to parties, you'll have some fun but you better watch out. You'll be on the run. You'll run far away when they come after you, but there's nothing at all that you can do. Halloween night will come very soon on the night of the full moon. When the full moon rises on Halloween night, lock your doors and hold on tight.
0: There you go. There you
3: go. I messed it up a little, but no, no. <laughs> that worked. Oh, very good. I,
0: I, think, I think it... Given the season, it calls for a maniacal laugh.
1: Very <laughs> good.
0: <laughs> be
4: careful. Very good. I maniacal. Okay, now we'll hear from Carol. My piece is called Halloween Excitement. When my friend Martha and I were little girls, about six years old, we were given permission to go out on Halloween night. We were ecstatic that we were finally old enough for that adventure. We decided right away what we were going to do. We had been talking about it for a month with the hope that we would be allowed to do it. We planned to make an old white tablecloth into two ghost costumes, and then we'd go up the street to the four corners where there was an empty stand where they had sold corn in the season. We would jump up and yell boo whenever a car stopped at the (laughs) intersection. Back then, there was not much traffic, but we were sure we would scare a few drivers. So on a very chilly Halloween night in 1940, Martha and I put our scary costumes on over our coats. We even wore mittens. Giggling with excitement, we hurried to the con stand and climbed inside. We could see a car coming down the hill, and we got ready for the first scare. When the driver stopped, we yelled, Boo! And he glanced over at us, and we thought he grinned. When a second car stopped, there were two people in it. A woman looked out at us and laughed and told the driver to look, and he laughed too. Not quite the reaction we thought we'd get, <laughs> but a reaction nonetheless. As the evening passed, traffic stopped and we were getting really cold. As we were just ready to climb out of our hiding place, a huge white form loomed up in front of us. It was moaning and said, I'm so hungry. <laughs> we hid for a few minutes. And when we thought that thing was gone, we ran like the wind to my house. We were so frightened, we could hardly tell my mother what had happened. My dad came into the kitchen and asked what happened, and we repeated our story. Dad smiled and said, imagine that. I wonder what kind of being that was. I'll bet it was another ghost. As he left the room, we could hear a chuckle. Martha and I looked at each other and we just knew who that ghost was. We sat down after taking off our costumes and coats and had some cocoa with marshmallows. We agreed it had been a wonderful, exciting Halloween. That was yeah. good. All right.
0: Nice. How late did you continue going out on Halloween night? <laughs> Till, till till how old?
4: Probably about ten.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I got out there probably around ten or eleven. Mm-hmm. I kind of pushed it a little. <laughs> the last night I
3: I went out. I, I had one of those uh laundry bags full of candy. You know, those those uh, blue laundry bags used to used to get.
4: Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't do trick or treat. No. No. Oh, you didn't? No. no. Had never been heard of at that point. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: I think after 10 or 11, uh, boys usually went into tricks. Yes. Doorbells and <laughs> exactly things like that. <laughs> Al, you're up. Okay. A little prelude uh, before I read. Uh, having been a farm boy all summer on Prince Edward Island, Canada, at 10 years of age for five sums in a row, this story is about returning... 25 years later. It's called uh, A Place for Us, and there are two parts. Back in the late 1960s, I still had fond memories of a time spent with my grandparents on their Prince Edward Island farm in Canada during the early 1940s. John Lynn was an old man farming, and his son was serving in the RCAF in England fighting the Second World War. My mother decided to send my brother John, 11, and I, at 10 years of age, to help them. Uncle Frank escorted us from North Station, Boston, and two nights and a day, by train, we left the big city to clay roads and kerosene lanterns, about 50 years back in time. Our grandparents were very kind to us and kept us busy with lots of farming chores. John was a hard worker, known as quite a wit, and Maggie could do wonders with her pantry and stove. I had the urge to return, and even broached the idea of a honeymoon there in 1957, which my wife Peggy quickly nixed as a good thing, too, as electricity was only just arriving in the island (laughs) on the countryside at that time. Our family soon grew to three boys and three girls in those late 1960s, and with meager salary, Never thought of taking vacations until a friend offered us their cottage in Rhode Island to us for a week. We jumped at the chance. It was a wonderful week by the water under the bright-lit Mount Hope Bridge with frequent party boats going underneath. We felt like hopping on. The cottage getaway taught us the importance of having vacations. They provide the anticipation, experience and many memories captured for the slideshow sit-around. To our delight, we found a way to manage weekly vacations on Cape Cod in the summers that followed. In 1970, a trip to PEI Canada was considered, and this was prompted when a friend with a camper offered it for our use to get to the island. That idea fell short, when we found out what it would cost to make our station wagon capable of pulling it. Plan B came about when we discovered on the island farm vacations were available and affordable. We reserved a place for two weeks in August, made our plans, and piled into our 1962 Chevy wagon to head north on a wing and a prayer with an overnight stop before the ferry. It was a hike on the road, and of course we heard... Are we almost there? And where are we now? And the answer mostly was, still in Maine. When at last we reached the ferry, our 40-minute crossing was restful and scenic as we approached the red clay banks of PEI. Later, arriving at Mrs. Louise Smith's farmhouse, it must have been quite a sight to see all of us pour out of the station wagon and into her living room. There we met the lovely, most gentlest of ladies, Louise. Her husband Milton wasn't well, and her oldest son was doing the farming. Our being there was her income for the family. Louise, to our surprise, was to provide both breakfast and supper, along with sleeping quarters. For Peggy, that meant no shopping, cooking, and cleaning up, a deserving mother's reward. People on the island were very kind, courteous, and curious about us, gentle and shy as well. I found my cousin Alban much like this and helpful in any way he could. Alban was to become the janitor of the new consolidated school being built to take in all the children from the little schoolhouses, and now one was vacant and selling for $400. Would we like to see it? We were of little means to buy anything, but we had to take a look. After seeing this old schoolhouse, the idea of owning one began to set in. How to go about it was the question. Twelve such schoolhouses were to be sold, and Peggy and I agreed we should look at them. Based on the value of the one looked at, we tried to guess in seeing each of the others what they might be worth. It became very exciting, as we anticipated a real hope where even the children got caught up in our enthusiasm. We had some numbers and two favorites with great views, one of which, on approach, we were saying, let it be up here, as we gazed out on an expanse of golden grain and green fields running down to the sea cove and rivers. My cousin Alban provided us with names of school board members who would decide on the bids coming in. And I thought it might be a good idea to talk with them about who we are and our purpose of a Somerberg cottage. On visiting the chairman, Cornelia Sheldon, who was a neighbor of my cousin, he told me his secretary would send us a letter when they come up for tender, as they call it. Sure enough, a letter came and we responded with a bid on seven of them needing only one at our guess on each value. The wonder and anticipation went on for weeks until finally a letter came announcing the acceptance of our bid of $1,050 on what was our first choice, the one with the scenic overlook. A two-story building the lower level uh, for the school and the second level was used for dancing and plays. There were two acres of land with a million dollar view looking out on a cove into the bay. It still takes my breath away. A timely return to PEI resulted in a place for us. I can only call it God's grace. Very The second part is the following summer. A Place for Us Begins. Having the winning bid on the schoolhouse of our choice when our family visited Prince Edward Island in 1970, when we stayed at Smith's Farm with the gracious Louise Smith, we were now blessed owners of this property with plans to begin our summer vacations on this glorious location in a building called Allwell Cove School. With limited means, we began that following year to acquire a more reliable station wagon to mount things we imagined we would would be needed in boxes on top, tied down with a tap, along with enough food for the 650 mile Oof. to PEI from Norfolk, Massachusetts. It was a long hike through Maine with a stopover in New Brunswick, Canada at a most modest accommodation. In the car were our six children, three girls and three boys, with the oldest in the back seat, along with the goods on the floor, and our three youngest in the cargo area among the blankets and cooler. No seat belts back then. As we reached the ferry line in Cape Tormentine, New Brunswick, they were loading the cars for the crossing, and our hope was to get on this one and not have to wait for the next. With hope realized, we were now on board, climbing the stairs to the deck for a good stretch of the legs to the dining area to find a table together and have a bite to eat, then out on the deck to catch the breeze and watch the seabirds above follow along and to see the bow of the ship cut a huge wake through the salt water of these straits. A family photo along the rail was in order, and soon we approached those red clay seawalls on the island with shades of green from all that planting now back in the car we still had over an hour to reach orwell cove and we think we can find it all right no google maps or gps were needed then as our memory served us well the roads and signs were good and as we turned into the cove road soon knew we were home coming on to the spectacular views the cove provided we see gold and green fields, pink potato blossoms running down to the rivers and out to the million dollar view of the cove into the bay and the sea beyond, points jutting out from the land, colorful wild lupins on the edges of farm properties, growing even into the ditches. On reaching the bottom of the hill, it was our second look at what we now possessed. The Clampett's car has arrived. <laughs> On this two-acre lot, our building was off near the far corner by a red dirt road, larger than most schoolhouses with two doors and lots of windows facing the daily sunlight for the children's schoolwork in their day. We pulled onto the property through high-growing hay. In stopping, we made our way to the door on the right, key in hand. Upon entering the door, straight ahead, led through the remnant of an old wood stove by the chimney, with two little doors beyond ahead for a boy-girl toilet. Back to the hall, another door was the classroom. In this very large room was an old, old stove in the center with a smokestack rising up and out to that chimney. On our right were two school desks that might not have been claimed by someone as the others were all gone, on the far left corner of this high-ceiling room was the empty map chart frame, no longer needed. Beneath that was a large wooden table of some use, to be handy later, cooking on with our propane stove. Hanging by chains from the ceiling were four white globular lights around the room, as the schoolhouse now had electricity, Now it was time to venture upstairs. This required us to go outside to the other door and up those 16 steps to a sliding door into this massive room with flat benches all around the walls. At the far end, there was a stage with curtains and an organ off to the side. This is where the community held their square dances, with fiddlers likely up on the stage, folks spinning and stopping around the hardwood floor. Curtains seemed to say plays must have been held here. A potbelly stove sat near the entrance, and both ends of the room had two windows. All those benches would have come in handy, temporarily, for sleep and counters. So far this place is rugged, yet amazing, as these are now our things. Back outside to unload, We see a red hand pump, which of course had to be tried. And out came cool, clear water. A little building adjacent to the school had a large door that seemed to be for their wood to burn, and the two narrow doors at the end of the building, what must have been their previous outhouse necessity. This was a three-week vacation like no other, which led us to auctions and places where people had things to sell and we could use, like a fridge, beds, tables, chairs, etc. The neighbors were helpful and curious to see if you have any Prince Edward Island connection and who they were. We acquired this place at a time for the price of a pop-up camper. It was going to be like camping, only difference being we had a real roof over our heads in a place, in a land, with so much promise, Prince Edward Island, God's grace continued.
1: Beautiful.
0: In fact, in the in this past year, the uh, little schoolhouse over on School Street in Franklin uh, became available for a lease. Wow! Uh, the town was looking for someone to do something with it. Um, kind of scratched my head over it, couldn't figure out anything worthwhile. But it would have been nice. Um, so I don't know what the town's long-term plan is, but, you know, that schoolhouse has been around, obviously, forever.
1: Wow. Beautiful descriptions, especially if the view from that place you bought.
0: Oh, yeah. It's amazing, Yeah, huh?
1: It mm. <laughs> is great.
0: I have uh, a shorty, which I will do, and uh, it's a sort of contemplative piece in that Uh, as you know, recently the uh, representative, Elijah Cummings, passed away. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my piece is, it's about time. Life is all about time. As the comedian Stephen Wright observed, time is what keeps everything from happening all at once. (laughs) (laughs) However, time is unrelenting as a taskmaster. In 1996, Representative Elijah Cummings introduced himself to Congress. He read a short poem by Karen Mitchell. I've only just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. That is how Cummings summed up the urgency of his priorities as a freshman legislator. Now is all at once fleeting, yet constant. It morphs moment to moment to moment. There it goes again. Was I present in that moment? Those moments now past. Life has a quiet, inherent urgency. It is made of the stuff. Even the snail's pace is urgent in its own way. Thus, even in retirement, let our time, our lives be urgent, fulgent, flowing with friends. For time together is never spent, only invested in friends with the surety of great returns. At this time, in this place, among these friends, I am ever the richer for it. Are you worried about the past? Yes, most people. Can you do something about it? No. Then why worry about it? Are you worried about the future? Yes. Can you do something about it? Most likely. Then don't worry about it. Invest yourself in the present. Mm, Very nice.
2: Just A nice
1: remembrance of Elijah Cummings. Absolutely.
2: What a compassionate man.
0: Yeah. Anyway, thank you all for bringing your stories today. If you have a story to tell, we would love to hear it. We're looking for new people to join our writers' group. If you would like to join our writers' group, just call the Senior Center, 520-4945. For all of our writers, I'm Peter J.
1: Kathy Salzberg. Bill Wiley. Carol Belcher. Al Larkin. Thanks for being with us here on the Story Hour. For all of our writers, I'm Peter J.
0: Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaningful experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR.